Welcome to another edition of the Work Life Hub podcast. To find out more and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.eu. Welcome to our listeners of the Work Life Hub podcast. This is um, your host, Agnes, with another episode where we're going to be talking to Jay Papazan, who is co-author of The One Thing, The Surprisingly Simple Truth Behind Extraordinary Results. And I have this book in my hand, and I think after this uh, podcast, so will you. So welcome, Jay, to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Agnes. I'm super excited to chat with you today. Thank you. So Jay is the executive editor and vice president of publishing at Keller Williams Realty. He's former editor at HarperCollins and he's also president of Relic Publishing. Now, the book came out in 2013 and it has been translated into 22 languages. It's, it's doing really well. Um, did you get a lot of um, follow up? Did, are people contacting you about the one thing? What, what is the journey of the one thing now that it's been out? Um, two years. <laughs> it's been it's been really exciting. Um, the book launched. We're actually up to twenty four languages now. I'm mm. really proud of that. And um, you know, we had our big launch where all of our organization, Gary and I, were on the road. We were promoting it, and then our sales started to kind of level off below where I'd hoped they'd be. And um, that was in the the fall of 2013, right? We we came out that year. Lean In was the only business book that sold more copies than we did, and that's mm -hmm. a fantastic book as well. But we 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 had this weird moment, and then um, we persevered. You know, I kept communicating with people like you on podcast. We we kept going out, and we really believe this message is something people need to hear. And then I guess last summer. We just seen something kind of remarkable. It's way past when most books kind of are they're kind of being put to rest. We've we're up, I think, you know, month over month from last year, you know, we're up like forty or fifty percent. And it just started last summer that we've seen a steady trend and that people are talking about the book and they're sharing the book. And so it's one of those things where, yeah, we did a big push like a lot of business authors will do. But now this is kind of the organic, you know, yeah. kind of the, the natural. Mouth. People have been processing it. And my theory is those people who read it, read it, and in this day and age, it takes a while to read a good book, they've actually started implementing it. And then people are like, well, how did you lose so much weight? Or I've noticed this about you. Then they talk about the book. And that's the, mm. the second wind. And it's really exciting. I met with my publisher for about a, four hours today, and we were both just looking and going, this just doesn't happen. Um, but the book is kind of taking a life of its own, and that makes me very happy. That's great. So in the book, you challenge six myths. Yes. Um, and, and we won't have time to unpack all of them. But maybe just, just going down the list, I'm going to be quite interested, of course, in the one on, on the myth of work-life balance. But I'm so, I'm so intrigued because I, I've read it. And I mean, it does take you on a bit of a soul-searching journey to find your one thing. And so you, you start off by challenging that everything matters equally. And so how does, how does one do that? How does one find the one thing or, or, or figure out that there may be two or three one things in, in one's <laughs> life? <laughs> um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's part of the reason that we ended up really 
going all in. It took us almost five years from start to finish to write the book. Um, but we got this sense that today with technology and, you know, the world is flat, um, so many things that are happening, we have so much opportunity. And at the same time, for a lot of us, we feel like we have a lot of obligation. Hmm. And I don't think anybody walks around saying everything matters equally. But when your to-do list is, is three pages long, when you know, you're so busy during the day, you forget to eat lunch, or you're not taking care of yourself, or you're trying to find time just to go to the bathroom between meetings, right? Yeah. I know a lot of people who are hurrying through their lives with a lot of busyness, yeah. and they get to the end of their day and they're breathless, and they can't really tell you what they accomplished. And what I believe, and, and when we talk about this lie, everything matters equally, I don't think people would argue that it does, but they act that way. Hmm. When you have a plate that's just overburdened, right, you don't have a good enough reason to say no to things, so you say yes to everything. Um, a lot of people are experiencing this in their work and in their personal lives, and it, it creates a lot of stress. And so it was a big part for us. The beauty of the one thing, you know, the core argument is we have a question, you know, what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything will be easier or necessary. You know, it's the question from a business standpoint, you're, what's the biggest lever in my life? What's the thing that will have the most impact for change? And the beauty is whether it's about the big sense of the one thing, like why am I here? Why am I working at all? Or what's the number one thing I can do to do what I'm already doing? Um, when you have that clarity, it's really easy to ignore the other stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's kind of a, a solution, right, that without you, once you identify it and make a small commitment to it, it really can clear a lot of the clutter and the stress for people. And so it's funny, it's like that is kind of the first domino for a lot of people is to just clearly identify what it is they want, what's a priority to them, so they can actually then start giving that more time and energy. Yes, because the, the, um, the professional norms and even social norms um, are so still very much ingrained into you even have to look like you're busy. You know, you have to create <laughs> and uphold this because there's this, this competition between, you know, if, if you ask someone, so how are you doing? How is work? Nobody's going to tell you, well, actually, I wasn't doing anything this week. Or, or I, <laughs> no, everybody's, I'm super busy. I'm crazy busy. I'm everything. And also, we live in such abundance and this great amount of choice, more and more choice. I've read somewhere, someone talked about choice paralysis, that actually we mm -hmm. lost something like seven hours in our lives in the last 20 years because of so much choice. So... I, I guess maybe also uh, that's kind of the one of the keys to the success of the books that the more the world becomes flatter, more we have digital, more we have options, you know, concentrating and focusing on the one thing becomes m more difficult, but also more and more essential. It's, it's, a, it's almost a survival response at this point. And what's cool about it is the the very technique, the approach, and I'd rather call it the one thing is about an approach mm -hmm. that you can take mm -hmm. at work or at home, honestly. But it's an approach that at one time removes the pain. But if you actually stick to it, there's a lot of research that says that if you really do narrow down your focus to a true priority, 
you know, this is what I'm going to choose to do, and I'm really going to go all in at it, you actually tend to have the most successful career or the most successful business. Hmm. And it's so counterintuitive. Yeah. You feel like you need to be doing more things to get more. But the big truth that just is, it takes some, you almost have to experience it to believe it, that it really is true that by doing less, you can get more. Hmm. And also to, to say no more right? Yes. This whole culture of the yes man and say yes to life and say yes to opportunities, you have to be more rigorous and also saying no. Well, it, 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 it says so many things about people that they're willing to say no. I have so much respect for no. Hmm. And because I know it's difficult to say that. But I, I, I work for Gary Keller and he's a guy who founded what's now the, the largest real estate company in the world. And from a little office, and he was driving a, a VW Bug, you know, he really grinded it out like a lot of entrepreneurs. He's an amazing guy to work for. And I remember early in my career watching the people who he brought close into him and, and observing who got to stay and who got to go. Hmm. And the tendency is when you say this yes culture, a lot of the people that are always nodding their heads saying, that's a great idea, that's a great idea, they didn't hang around very long. But the people who'd say, you know, I don't agree with that. You know, what about this? Even if they were wrong, they were willing to kind of assert that they had a different viewpoint. What's amazing is that really um, impactful people like Gary Keller, they respect that a lot. And people are afraid to be exactly what these guys want you to be. Yeah. And so um, I don't know how that we ended up here, you know, where it became impolite, right, to, to be a little bit contrarian. But I certainly believe in business that if you approach it from, you remove your ego from the equation. It's not about you being right. It's about finding the right answer. That a lot of people, you know, can, there's a lot more alternatives on the table than most people know because they're just not asking for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's, actually, we had someone, um, we, we, at the, here on the Work Life Hub podcast, we, we really speak to fantastic uh, people and, and, and now it's, we're getting to a point where we uh, always come back to this issue of crafting your own career, you know, how to, right. for you to really get the career or the job or job crafting, you know, maybe this job doesn't exist and you need to just stand up and say, hey, this is the thing I want to do, even if it doesn't have a name yet, even if it's difficult for people to explain. And, and, and someone on the podcast said, to have the, the the career or the life you want, you will have to have a lot of awkward conversations. And, and, <laughs> and I like that because also when you talk in your book about, you know, work-life balance and counterbalancing, you know, for sure, there must be a lot of uh, uh, awkward conversations to be had in these, in these very strict professional norms that, yes, I want to go to my daughter's dance recital or I want to go to my son's dentist appointment now at 2 p.m., which is not the normal time, but this is now happening, right? Yeah, and you know what? That's, um, again, this just, this, it's about how you do it. And you know, we don't get classes on this in school. We don't get classes on this like when we are being in you know, an orientation at the new job. But so much of saying no is about saying no now, but yes later. Um, so much of when people ask us to do things, it's really about getting us to say yes at some time. And so there's just, I just think we just take everything at kind of face value, maybe because we are moving too fast and trying to do too much. But the whole idea, I talk to my staff 
And one of the first things, we actually ran into this this year. I had a staffer that waited very late to request some vacation, and they wanted time off to spend time with family for very good reasons, but they gave us almost no notice, and it was at a very poor time of year. And I asked this person's manager, and I said, didn't I give this speech this year like I did last year and the year before? And it was confirmed. But basically, the very first thing you should put on your calendar is your personal time. Hmm. And if, if an employee comes to me in one of my businesses and says, hey, I know that this is, you know, in August we have the convention, but my brother's getting married and I'd really like to take some extra time off to experience that with him. Well, now I've got nine months to plan for this, right? And what kind of boss would say no to that? Yeah. I don't want to be that boss. But if you wait until the end of July to ask that, it's a very different thing. I get angry. Like, why are you making me the bad boss? Yeah. If you, if you just put it on both of our calendars well in advance, we would be working around your priorities rather than your priorities interrupting the business. Because with a little bit of communication, most of these things can be avoided. Mm. Right? If your kids are sick, you need to go home and be with them. And most business people that you want to be working for should get that. Um, but it's really about how you communicate it, that you communicate it with respect to their needs and vice versa. And I've I tried to just train people in our organization to operate that way. I want them to go spend time with their kids. I also expect them to do their job. They're not mutually exclusive. You just have to figure it out. Hmm. Yes. And we sometimes assume a worst response that we uh -huh. may get and we just put it off like going to the dentist, right? We think yeah. it's going to hurt now, but you put it <laughs> off and then it's going to be really bad. <laughs> well, that's a great point, Agnes, is that I think in our minds, and it's so easy, especially, again, when we're doing too much and we are stressed out, that we assume the negative response. And when people ask me, they're like, you know what, I'd really like to do this in the organization. I said, well, go ask. <laughs> but I always tell them, be prepared for both answers and how you ask matters a lot. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, don't, don't assume a no, but be prepared for a no so that you can handle it gracefully and not respond emotionally to it, right? Every question has two answers. And there's another way sometimes, especially if you're asking for, you know, maybe you've got a young child and you want to, to be there when they get home from kindergarten and so, like, I'd really like to shift my work hours so that I can be home when my kid comes home from school. Instead of asking for what you want and, and kind of then assuming that there's not any other consequences for the business that's taking a risk to employ you, you can ask, what would I have to do to earn the right to do X? That's a very different question. Yeah. And there's a very different answer. So, well, you know what? If you had all your work done by 2 o'clock, and you were available on email or for emergency calls, I don't see why we couldn't do that. And I'm just, you know, I'm spitballing here. I'm making yeah. it up, but you see what I'm saying? Totally. It's how we approach these issues and these conflicts that really is a big part of the solution. No, I think that's really great advice. And I also, what I have experienced, though, is that when, when, we, are, when we get hired, when people get hired into a new company, it's almost like, um, a marriage or a new no dating it's almost like dating when you want to uh -huh. show off your best side you know when you still want to confirm in this confirm in this ideal worker template so you don't 
immediately come out with the fact that you may have little children or sick parents or what or training for a marathon. So I think that also it's very unfair on managers because they they would not come up front, you know, with with these requests, but then procrastinate a little bit. And then when they have an emergency, we see this a lot with working parents or carers that chronic situations become an emergency. And then they go Mm -hmm. to their line managers, right? That, okay, now the babysitter's gone. I need to be home or the school is shut down or whatever. And then it's very unfair on the business as well when they weren't prepared at all for, for this eventuality instead of, as you say, having an open, transparent, honest discussion about the needs on both sides. We, we talk about this in the book, and we have a, it's some tough language, actually. We talk about the choice about being accountable or being a victim. Hmm. And when you were just talking then, I was thinking about the fact that it's very easy for us to play the role of a victim in our own lives, right? Yeah. Stuff is happening to us. Yes rather than us being the author of our lives. And this comes back to managing our careers. Yeah. And this fundamental decision, right? And it's, it starts inside every one of us that, you know what? Everything in my life is up to me, right? If, if a meteor falls out of the sky and hits me in the head, <laughs> it's, it's not an accident. It happened because I chose to stand there. Right. And I have to ask, what could I have done differently, right? I'm sure I heard some podcasts, a guy talking about there's actually a space agency that tracks meteorites that are going to enter the you know, atmosphere. I, at my craziest accountability, I could have somehow connected with them and avoided that spot. But you just ask that because if you don't go there naturally, right, if you don't train yourself to go there, then you become this victim where stuff just happens to you. And they call it learned helplessness, Yes. right? It becomes a cycle. Yeah. But the opposite is also true. If you're the author of your life and you're like, well, darn it, I shouldn't have stood there. Well, then I'm going to start paying attention to where I stand. And you never know what comes from that attitude. But in my experience, those are the people I want to work with Yeah. because they tend to show up. They understand they're exactly their part in the success or the failure. They don't bring ego to it. They know that success and failure are tied up together. You don't succeed without one, right? And so they just get it. They say, I'm learning. If it's a failure, I learn from it. If it's a success, we celebrate it. And so you just be accountable for your part in everything. And I just think that's a fundamental thing that I think gets lost in the shuffle. Yeah. You know, it's easy as an employee, and I'm putting that in quote marks, to play the role of the victim. Yeah. But if you really want to stand out, and as Gary, my co-author, would say, he coaches employees, learn to be irreplaceable. Mm. When you become accountable, when you really become a master of what you do versus a jack of all trades, there comes a place where the employer looks at you. And even if you're making an outlandish, you know, demand, they're like, I can't afford to replace Agnes. Yeah. You know, she's interviewed 500 CEOs on this whole work-life balance thing. She has so much knowledge on the topic. It would take me years to replace her. So certainly, you know, I'll buy you a yellow Volkswagen and you can park it in my spot from now on, Agnes, <laughs> whatever it is, right? But we, whether you're an employee or an entrepreneur, you want to be indispensable. And this is all kind of tied up in this one thing message, yeah. right? I also find, I mean, having read the book, uh, the journey I had reading the book was that as I'm the queen of procrastination, 
And <laughs> even though someone on the podcast told me Bridget Schulte, she said that this is a sign of highly talented people. So <laughs> that reassured me a tiny bit. But but um, because when I started reading it, um, at the beginning, it feels a little bit like a constraint, you know, mm-hmm. like when you want to embark on more fitness or when you want to invest more time in you know in being there for your kids or or accompanying your kids throughout their education you know it it does feel a little bit like okay I just gotta you know do this but then I have to say that a lot of the messages that come out of the book are are very liberating because it if you do it 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 really frees up a lot of your your clutter that was just there and and just so you know for example one of my favorite debunking myths in your book was also about multitasking when you say that you know forget it there was so much uh, noise about multitasking but this is you know that's really let's let's put the cards on the table and say you need to focus and and be there for your (laughs) tasks well I love what you said there because it's really true like the first pushback people give when you tell them what the one thing's about is but wait, it's never, it, there's always more than one thing. Yeah. How can you possibly insinuate it's just one thing? And so the clarification on that is that at any given moment, right, of your life, at any given time, there is only one thing. That's just by nature of science and reality. We, like you were mentioning it with multitasking, you can actually only focus on one thing at a time. Yeah. And if you're bouncing back and forth your focus, you're actually losing it both activities. Yeah. And so what's liberating about the book, right? At first you say, but I'm losing all these choices. But what you're getting, instead of nibbling all the pies in the restaurant, right? Yeah. You're actually getting to savor something at a different level. Yeah. And you ask anyone who's been married for a year what it's like. And then you talk to a couple who's still deeply in love on their 50th anniversary about that journey. And they will tell you it is work. But it gets richer and richer and richer as you go along. Many things that are worthwhile do. And so this idea of experiencing something deeply and all the gifts that come from that, this fact that you're not doing all this stuff and you're not rushing to and fro, that there are deeper rewards. And so this idea of focusing your energy and time on fewer things so that you can give more of yourself to those things and also experience more of the benefits of those things. I, I think most people, they like you, had that same experience. Like, but I'm giving up so much. But once they kind of take a few steps down that path and experience the richness instead of the variety and all the gifts that come with it, I don't think many people have regrets about what they've given up. They just see what they've been given. Yeah. Now, I also wanted to just uh, say to you about about the book and the fact that there is a, a chapter on work-life balance and that you talk so openly about combining work and family life, that it's also quite rare to see men uh, advocate for these issues. So I, I, I don't know if you see yourself as a feminist or someone who's <laughs> advocating for gender equality, but I think that that brings a lot to the table that, you know, usually we associate a lot of these things. And I, I guess still within the business world and organizations, a lot of these requests are associated with mommy issues. Um, right. But, but, but you make a point that this is everyone's issue and without, you know, working moms or working dads. And, and I love this, um, 
the anecdote that you write in the chapter about the the successful businessman who you know said I'm going to work hard now and then mm -hmm. once I make a lot of money or once I retire then I will make up for time and spend time with my children but as you say in the book you know th that time is lost you will never ever have your child's fifth birthday party or your your son's graduations whatever and 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 I think that's very important so I just wanted to also thank you for that thank you for saying that it's a big deal um I'm part of a generation you know I'm 46 so I'm a Gen Xer um in terms of generations but the, the there was a generation of men you know they called it they had a name for it called Iron John that felt they had ah. to be the stoic that had to go to work and represent that idea of man it's not even the chauvinistic kind where we're men and we're entitled it was just almost seen as a duty and i you know i have a lot of my friends and we're like you know i want to be down on the carpet playing with the kids you know i knew my dad loved me but there were times where i don't think it was culturally acceptable even for him to be that kind of dad but we get to live in a time where it's absolutely accepted if you want to be much more involved as a father that you can so I, I think that a lot of the work-life balance, I mean, the phrase, as we talk about in the book, came from the fact that women went into the workforce in the 70s. Before that happened, nobody talked about work-life balance. Yeah. Because the first people who got a raw deal were the working moms, because they still had all of their old job. You still had to make the food and put it on the table and clean the house and all of that and work your job. Yeah. Sure, you can have a career if you'll do that, too. And then it's become really a call sign for everyone. I think everyone is struggling with that balance, um, male and female today. And I think there's not just us, there are other people out there like you that are really trying to signal there are techniques, there are approaches to life that you can adopt. There are employers who embrace this as well. But you can have a better balance. Um, it's not a destination. It's something you always work on. But it's definitely possible. Yeah. No, thank you very much for that. And then I think we need you and more of you and more people <laughs> like you who who really, really take this on and, and put this into a very successful business um, uh, context. So um, now that time is running, um, I just wanted to maybe um, ask you before we co go to our last question, would you like to remind people where they can find you and how they can connect to you? Sure. Um, my name, Jay Papazan, which presumably on the, the podcast notes, it's very easy to find me on social media, and I do try to respond to everyone. Um, you can also find out about our book at theonething.com with the number one. So the number one thing.com will be everything about what we do. Great. So the last question we always ask uh, the same question to our podcast guests is if, um, Jay, now you could give one advice to a CEO for him or her to make uh, the life of their employees better, to help them or give this enabling environment for them to thrive, what would that one advice be? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give... A huge nod to Gary because he was the first person I heard articulate this. Um, one of the, the prize things you can have as a CEO, as an employer, is longevity in your employees, right? The longer they work with you and succeed with you, 
the more capable they become, right? They're working in your system. They know your system. Yeah. Fewer people can do more jobs. It's really a great benefit. And so he articulated this. He goes, you know, most employers are smart enough to pay fairly. They even will offer perks. But if you are not committed to their whole being, not just their career being, you will eventually lose them. Yeah. Because ultimately, people don't leave a fair paying job because their career isn't being fulfilled. That could be part of it. It's because something in their life isn't happening that matters more. Because it's almost always that's a higher priority for people. Yeah. And so when I sit down, having taken from that, we, we've institutionalized that here. I make it available for all of my employees. We meet every week to find out if we're on the same page about priorities. And I also want to know what their personal priorities are. Are they pursuing a marathon, right? Yeah. Are they wanting to walk their kids when they get home from school? What is the one thing in their personal life that if it's happening, man, everything else is going to be happening. Yeah. And I think if, if employers could make that concession and that awareness, everybody wins. A happy workforce, a satisfied, fulfilled workforce will deliver better value for you. And you also get this really amazing, righteous feeling of providing a work environment that provides that for them. Awesome. So not only will Zoltan, my co-founder, be super happy you mentioned marathon running, because that's <laughs> his thing. <laughs> so legitimizing it on the on the podcast, everybody heard Jay Papasan to speak about <laughs> marathon running. But uh, but also I think that's you know bringing your whole person to work. You work with human beings, with whole persons who have who have loved their jobs, who love their careers, want to perform, but who also love their families and have hobbies and health and want to pursue other things. And if you allow them to bring their whole selves to work, then it will be a win-win situation for everyone. Yes, absolutely. So it was such a great pleasure chatting to you, Jay. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for coming on the Work Life Hub podcast. Thank you all for doing the work that you do. And thank you for having me.